Here's the snap. It's down. The kick is up. Has the distance. And it's good. The Texans win in overtime. Shane Graham makes it. And Houston beats the Lions. What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents, the Sportscasters Podcast, episode number 29 on November 29th, 2012, after a uh, week off to enjoy Thanksgiving. How did it go for you, Don? Super. Busy as always, but super. It was good. Did you go with the traditional Thanksgiving dinner? We did. We did, yeah. So tell me what's on the uh, table. What are the bowls uh, that are being passed? The from? turkey, the stuffing, uh Corn, green beans, mashed potatoes, yams. I don't eat yams, but they were there. Uh, yeah, the typical, pretty pretty stereotypical stuff. Now, is that a meal that excites you? Did you wake up thinking, yes, today is the day that I'm going to eat yams? Yeah, and- yeah I, I know where you're going with this. I would rather have probably what you had, but I do like it, yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we went out to dinner, and I had... Uh, tenderloin that was uh, bourbon glazed and it was weird we had a table of eight and they did have traditional Thanksgiving dinner and after seven people had ordered nobody had ordered the traditional Thanksgiving dinner right and the waiter was like are you going to be my first table not to order a Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner and then my uh, Miss Caster's dad ordered the uh, traditional Thanksgiving dinner but I don't know. I just I like the idea of being able to go out, and if I wanted Thanksgiving dinner, I could have had it, but right, I passed. I went with the uh, with the tender glaze, and there was a lot of uh, penne vodka eaten at the table, yeah, and um, you know other dishes like that. But uh, I respect the uh, traditional Thanksgiving dinner, just not something really that interests me that much um we were off last week which means the week before was our aaron schatz podcast wanted to thank aaron for being on the show and remind you if you're still interested in listening to aaron you can click on the podcast tab at the top of the football nation website and then you can very easily find that interview uh uh, there so more than welcome to do that. I did mention that Don has a name. Uh, I should mention more that Don Russ is the co-host. Oh, the hey, show. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm Steve Bennett, the host. Got a lot to do today. Tim Layden is from Sports Illustrated, and he does a lot over there. He talks about the ponies, Don. Yes. He often talks about the ponies, and he's done that on the sportscasters proper. Right. Ponies don't run when it's this cold, as far as I know. Not around here. Yeah. So uh, what he does at this time is he covers football, and he has done a lot with Notre Dame and the season that Notre Dame has had this year. We're going to talk to Tim Layden about college football a little bit, and we're also going to talk to him about the National Football League. Uh, So we have a really great uh, interview there. We have an email uh, to read today uh, from someone who wants to know if we think that the – Weekly Thursday night games as spoiled Thanksgiving football. And uh, we're going to do one last thing as well. Uh, before we can get to any of that, we have to start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> This is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, looking ahead to week 13 of the NFL season, uh, one thing I'll say right off the bat, we're not going to talk too much about the Saints and Falcons game uh, because chances are that game's going to be over by the time you hear this podcast. But uh, Thursday night football, Saints, Falcons... Uh, Saints have had the Falcons' number, and uh, they're going to need to win that game tonight if they want to keep their 
playoff chances going, and we'll have a little bit more about the Saints uh, during one last thing. I got a question I should know. How do the thir- how are the Thursday night games picked uh, on the schedule? Because that's kind of a marquee matchup that maybe you'd think. I mean, the Saints haven't don't have the record that they would like this year, but. That well, matchup know, preseason is a great matchup. I know that basically all the networks go into a room with the guy who is in charge of the schedule for the National Football League. Okay. And each network has a priority based on what their package costs. Right, right. So let's just say that Fox is the most expensive package. That would be my guess based on the markets they have. Okay. They'll be able to say protect game number one all right so it doesn't have anything to do with the time because the other prime time i mean fox doesn't even have a prime time game no what it it is is like every game is either a fox or a cbs game to start based on who the road team is right right right, yes if the road team every single game before you even think about anything is a fox or a cbs game if the vikings are away it's a fox game if any NFC right, right. team is away, it's a Fox game. If any AFC East team is away, or any AFC team is away, it's, it's a CBS, CBS game. Right. So then those networks have to start protecting their games from the package on Sundays, the package on Mondays, and the package on Thursdays. I see that. I mean, that's it's interesting. I know the NFL can flex games at some point, right? Or they not do that anymore? Yes, and so far no game has been flexed this year. Because this week's night Sunday night game is kind of a dud. It's pre- Dallas, right? Preseason it would have looked great, Eagles-Cowboys, but it's kind of a it's kind of a stinker. It's a dud, except for the problem is Dallas isn't a dud. Right. They're always a draw. But Dallas is always that's what a I draw, mean. Like so these, that's why they didn't flex that game out. Like all three of the primetime games preseason look great. You got Giants, uh, the Champs versus RG three. You got Cowboys, Eagles, and you've got Saints Falcons. So I just wonder, like how how none of those games ended up. And remember, there's you know? there's there's rules like each team has to be uh, on, on Thursday night time, football right. one time. Oh, it's Thursday night. Yeah, each team has to have Thursday night football once. Um, and then there's all kinds of rules, like the teams that go to London have to have a bye week the next week. And putting this schedule together has to be nothing short of a miracle. Right. I'm just, the I, work that's done on it is unbelievable. This week, preseason, looks phenomenal on paper, like for the games. You've also got Steelers-Ravens. Vikings-Packers. Right. I mean, this is a great preseason lineup here. But, uh, yes, some of them haven't. So let's assume that the marquee game is Eagles-Cowboys, and that is actually the game that could be flexed. If you were given the power and no games were protected, what would you move there? Probably Ravens-Steelers, but Big Ben not playing in that game really hurts it. Uh, Maybe Broncos-Buccaneers, but right, Dallas is such a big market that they probably wouldn't move it. I would probably go Vikings-Packers. Right, that one too, maybe. You know, 7-4 and four versus 6-5. and, five and There's a lot of good matchups, but I guess when you're Dallas, you're Dallas, and you're probably just a draw regardless. Now, the interesting thing, I think, about this week, maybe more than the schedule, is the way that the playoff standings are going to really start to take form this week, one way or another. Yeah, it won't happen, but you said there'd be something like potential for like four divisions to be decided. Yeah, I heard somewhere and I didn't I don't know if it's confirmed that up to five divisions could five. be claimed. Uh it was a very unlikely scenario. Uh but divisions Well Atlanta most... can do it easily. Uh there's what, five weeks left counting this coming weekend. So Atlanta, if they win and Tampa loses, they would they would clinch. And then there's like some technical ones like um, if Baltimore beat Pittsburgh, they'd be up with a tiebreaker. Right, they'd be up so four be games. So really, really right. difficult. If Houston Indies possible at all. Houston Indies probably in the same boat. They'd be up four games with the tiebreaker. Uh, yeah, so, I mean it won't happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two go down. Like specifically, Atlanta could probably clinch. I, Tampa has a. And when we're tough sitting matchup. here next week, we're we're gonna have a we're gonna have a better 
kind of view of where the playoffs are headed. Right. And, and that's early, I think, this year. This could be a year where going into week 17, there may be only the NFC West spot or the NFC spot six left. Oddly enough, I think the only team mathematically eliminated at this point. And I don't know when they say that. When they say mathematically eliminated, I don't know if they mean if you just add these games up or if they actually go through the schedule and say, like, well, none of these teams play each other enough or these two teams play each other, so one of them is going to win. But I think Kansas City might be the only team mathematically out of it right now. Maybe something if Jacksonville made it then. <laughs> that would be crazy. But, uh, yeah, I guess statistically some team could drop to 7-9. and nine. So as it stands now, you got Seattle 6-5, and five, Tampa Bay 6-5, and five, Minnesota 6-5, and five, Washington, Dallas, and New Orleans all 5-6. and six. Yeah, I think there's... So you got six teams for one spot there. For one there. spot, yep. I think Chicago and Green Bay, I know they're only Green Bay's only one game ahead of Minnesota, Tampa, Seattle, two games ahead of the Saints, but I think Green Bay's got that. Uh, yeah, I think they're gonna I'm going to give that to them. So then, like you said, you got the Giants, Chicago, Atlanta, San Francisco pretty much have those safely in hand. Yep. So, so yeah, Seattle, Tampa, New Orleans, Minnesota. Minnesota. Washington, and then Dallas, you could throw maybe. Washington, Dallas. Well, yeah, Washington, Dallas, and New Orleans. Oh, they're right there. They're right. all one game behind. Right. With plenty to go. So, I think New Orleans has got a shot at it. It would help them a lot to win tonight, obviously, because their division record is only three and four. Or I their conference record. I only think three we'll and four. know more who has a shot at it after this week. For sure. Um, I think that that's going to be really telling. And then, as far as the AFC. Um, not as I'm much. not ready to give it to Indianapolis. I think they're probably going to make it, but I'm not ready to just hand it to them yet because there are two six and five teams. It's really right mediocre in the AFC. The I mean, I would say the division winners could probably each win the Super Bowl, but after that, I think you're going to have two pretty mediocre wild, wild card teams, especially if big. Even with well, no, Ben's been good this year. I mean, they're they're six and five. They got to. Probably the first look. If Pittsburgh at it. can hang in there and get Roethlisberger back, they'll be a tough out. Right, but the next team in there is going to be somebody weak. They're going to be somebody like Indianapolis, who kind of has feasted on bad teams and won close. Or and when every with every week that passes, gets closer and closer to Denver and Indianapolis yeah. actually playing in that first round of the playoffs. That'd be which wild. Would be, which would be something else. Yep. All right. All right. My second thing this week, kind of a. A big deal made out of nothing. Maybe someone from Kansas City can tell me how big a deal this was. But uh, I don't have the name of the guy, but their offensive lineman slash or ex-offensive lineman slash color guy, I think there. I don't know. He's some talking head that used to play for the Chiefs in Kansas City. I wish I had his name on me. But uh, he's mad that Jamal Charles and Dwayne Bowe waited around after their game to get Peyton Manning's autograph. And – He's got to calm down, I think, a little bit. His team's one in ten. They got more things to worry about than how lousy, or than who's getting autographs from whom. And Dwayne Bowe's got one foot out the door anyway. That, that's the way I see it. I think Dwayne Bowe's probably gone, and Jamal Charles, even in a lousy year, has played really well. After that game, seventeen nine game, that the Chiefs actually played pretty well. Uh, he had over a hundred yards rushing with. No quarterback. They played way better than I thought they were going to sure. play against Denver. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of fantasy people out there that expected a lot more from uh, all their Broncos and yeah. didn't get it. But I don't know. We I've had this discussion before about how the old days of uh, going to war and all that nonsense, these players are all millionaires. They all like each other. They all pray together after the game. They don't have the hatred for each other. I mean, I'm sure there's a few teams that still do, but – Kansas City, Denver. It's a division game, but Kansas City hasn't been relevant. What's the big deal? Uh, he's a legend. They, which you should have Matt Castle go get his autograph and maybe ask him <laughs> for some tips. But so it's, it's a lot, lot made after nothing, uh, made out of nothing. All right, my second thing: Green Bay Packers running back Cedric Benson uh, was announced today will stay on IR, which means his season is over. Which is a little bit of of a bummer for the Packers. I heard an interview with Aaron Rodgers on the new Jim Rome Showtime show, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but um 
And Rogers mentioned how they were excited about the possibility of getting Benson back. And there was a lot of enthusiasm when they signed Benson about the way he might be able to complement that offense and take a little bit of the pressure off of the passing game. But it's not going to happen this year. So Green Bay is going to have to lean on James Starks and Alex Green to stay healthy. And they're going to hope that the boost of getting Greg Jennings back is going to outweigh not getting Cedric Benson. Cedric Benson back. Yeah. My last thing this week is about the black unicorn. I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, term, but uh, Martellus Bennett, I guess, is nicknamed the black unicorn. Of course so he that, is. that's what the kids call him in Minnesota. Uh, he saved a fan who, while walking back to the locker room after the 38-10 to win over the Packers, Bennett went to ha- – I'm sorry, I said Minnesota. He plays in New York now. Um, when walking back to the locker room, he went to hand uh, some kids his gloves – and some guy went to grab them, kind of like, whatever, like in a scramble or whatever. Well, the kid grabbed the gloves, and the guy kind of fell over the, the kid. And the fan fell over the railing, and Bennett caught him. Wow. The best part about this story, and I got it off ESPN, uh, Bennett says that's the fifth fan, or no, that's the fifth life he's saved in his lifetime. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he... Uh, not to brag or anything. No. Uh, he said, I, I just caught him. It wasn't that big a deal. He went. He put the fan down, tripped on a cameraman who was behind him. Said, I caught him, and then I was about to set him down gently, kind of like when Lois Lane is caught by Superman, and then he kind of takes her and sets her down so she can land on her feet, but it didn't happen like that. There was a cameraman behind me. <laughs> Y'all know cameraman are the least athletic people in the world. I stepped on him. We both went down. Uh then he goes on to compare himself to Cyclops from the X-Men. Okay. <laughs> he says, Cyclops has superpowers. Uh, he's caught people. He caught Jean Grey a couple times, but all superheroes catch people at some point in time. Otherwise, they're not as super as they think they are. This is probably like the fifth person I've saved in my life. He's great. I was never a huge fan of his. I mean, not, I didn't dislike him or anything, but uh, uh, it's just the way he tells the story is awesome. Then he goes back to a Texas... A&M basketball game. He played basketball. Uh, uh, fans were storming the court after the game, and you saw this kid there. Went down. This kid went down. He said, I just wanted to keep jumping and celebrating, but I looked down, and then I looked at everybody else, so I did the righteous thing, and I picked up the kid and carried him <laughs> off the court. He had, like, a broken arm and a broken wrist. He also said he saved a few cousins who couldn't swim well. Says he's a certified lifeguard, and him also... Uh, his brother, Michael, the running back that plays for the Bucks, is also a certified lifeguard. He says, I j-, he goes, I just saved lives. I actually <laughs> saved about 12 people, but only like four of those were drowning. Some people was about to drown. They just didn't know it yet. <laughs> so, yeah, the black unicorn is out there. It's saving lives, and uh, it's awesome. I think he's hilarious. You know what's funny is like when, he, when his parents got called in for kindergarten, you know, meetings yeah and you know some kids it's like well they're progressing in this area but not this area yeah my guess is he had no problems in the imagination area no right right it seems like he has a very vivid and active i'm saying he's making these things up just (laughs) the way he compares them to cyclops yeah yeah superman uh, superman and lois lane it just seems like he's always thinking the biggest uh uh, for lack of a better term, kicking the balls in this whole thing, is the 52-year-old fan that fell over the bars got charged with disorderly conduct. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's what he gets for trying to steal gloves from a little kid. All right, my last thing, uh, speaking of nicknames, the Honey Badger yeah. announced today that he will apply for entry into the NFL draft. The former LSU cornerback released the following statement. After much thought and reflection, I've decided to forego my rela- my remaining college eligibility. It is my intention to apply to enter to the 2013 NFL Draft. It's time for me to move forward. I am indebted to my parents, uh, my family, for their love, support, and guidance. To Coach Miles and the LSU football family, 
I say thank you for the opportunity and support you've given me over the years. I'm sorry that I was able, not able to complete my journey at LSU, but I will always support LSU in any way I can. To my teammates, you are my brothers. You have kept me going. I'll do the best to make you proud. Stay strong. Now, as soon as I heard this, I said, is it a coincidence that the week after Janoris Jenkins of the Rams, the other SEC troubled... Picks off two catches for picks TDs. Picks off two passes for TDs. Yeah. That that's the week that the Honey Badger says, you know what, I'll do the NFL thing. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. I mean, it's hard probably to see your boys doing well there. And Well, it's like if you look at the pass that Janaris Jackson's had, it was or Janaris Jenkins had, very similar. Yeah. Got in trouble at Florida, had to leave Florida, went to the University of Northern Alabama, a place where he was way better than, shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, ended up getting drafted in the second round by the Rams, who decided to give him a shot. And as years go has gone on, he's shown more and more of what could have potentially made him a first round pick. Right. He has two pick sixes in a game, and I think it shines some light bulbs for the honey badger. Yeah, we've been following kind of his uh saga on this podcast and our in our other podcast. And when it when it first went down he got uh suspended for drugs or whatever yep. it was. And he was gonna go He's going to go clean up. His dad said it was the best thing for him, that he's got to worry about life before football. You know, at that point, it's like, okay, kind of root for this kid a little bit. Then, what was it? Then the next a month thing ago was or he so, was at LSU again. Right, and got in trouble and with like four other classes, players. Oh. And, you know, was just kind of going to be there and try to get on the team next year. Right. But then he got in trouble again. Yeah, it was maybe a month or two ago, right? Yeah, so then that bridge was burned, and then I think he was – looking over his options and I, I I just don't think that the way that Jenkins has played has has hurt his decision at all and you know what ultimately this is probably the right decision go For to him. the NFL and learn how to be a professional yeah and hopefully it works out for him I'm sure as much as he's looking forward to showing off his skills at the Combine, I'm sure the interview process is going to be painful. Yes, it will be. 32 teams are going to be drilling him about being a man and stupid decisions. and that, I'm sure he is not looking forward to that aspect of the Combine this year. Only three other defensive players in NCAA history have finished higher in Heisman voting than the Honey Badger. Wow. My... I already did my last thing, but uh, I've been kind of doing this a few weeks when I find one. My stupid Reddit slash this week ESPN stat of the week. The Browns and Bengals both won last week. Wow. For the first time since week 16 of 2009. So that's that's been a while. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I wonder how many times the New York team – well, Buffalo is really the only true New York team, right, if you look at it that way. but So you weren't married the last time? That no, no, these I was two not, teams won. It's not married. Unbelievable. It's crazy. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for three things this week. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and speak with the great Tim Layden from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. Our guest today is from Whitewall, New York, and is a graduate of Williams College, where he was a member of the basketball team. He has spent time working for the Schenectady Gazette, Albany Times Union, and Newsday. In 1994, he joined Sports Illustrated, where he is now a senior writer. At SI, he covers the Olympics, horse racing, and the National Football League, as well as some college football. Over the course of his distinguished career in journalism, he has won many awards, including an Eclipse Award for coverage of thoroughbred horse racing in 1987. In 2011, his book, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, The Ultimate Football Playbook, How Great Coaches Built Today's Game, was a revolutionary look at how the game of football has developed by some of the smartest minds in the profession. 
He's making his third appearance on our podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Tim Layden. How are you doing today, Mr. Layden? Good. Glad to talk to you. Yeah, same here. Hey, I, I always think about this. As you look out at the college football and pro football landscape this fall, do you see any new chapters of your book being written? You know, I try not to think of it in those terms because it makes me think of things that I shouldn't, that I should have included last time. Um, you know, I we had talked at SI about uh, there's a story about a particular pass pattern that I that I'd like to write uh, for the magazine that I think could have been a chapter of its own that's really become a big part of the uh, the offense and the professional and the college game in the last decade or 15 years. And uh, you know, that's the back shoulder throw, and and I I kind of like to write something about that. Um, you know, but I, you know, in terms of specific schemes, you know, maybe the pistol offense, which is sort of a, it's a variation of a spread. Um, there's always a lot of changes, but the back shoulder throw is something I really wanted to to look into in detail at some point. You spent a lot of time uh, this fall covering uh, college football. Um, how has that felt for you? I mean, it, it, a little bit different, obviously, than covering where they play for pay, so to speak. But how has uh, the time covering college football been as far as satisfying Tim Layden, the journalist? Um, you know, it's interesting. I I covered, I was the primary college football writer at SI from 94 to 2000 and covered a lot of college football all the way through like 2003 and 2004 um, and switched over to the NFL in 2006. So, uh you know, I, I was kind of going back to to my roots in some ways, and there's just so many differences. I mean, a lot of the fundamental schemes are the same, but uh, you know, the NFL is a more evolved game. The, the players are better, they're faster, they're bigger, they're stronger. The efficiency level is much higher. It's just it's it's just better. Um, but I'm not saying it's better as an entertainment product. Um, college football has an excitement level. Uh, you know the the game is stretched out longer because of the first down situation that stops the clock. So there's uh and then I think the enthusiasm level of the audience is, is a little bit more, uh, it's just younger um, in some ways. It's uh, And not necessarily that the crowd is younger, but the, the players are younger. The, the, the feeling is of a more, uh, it's more just a college-type atmosphere, and it's, it's very different. And uh, I think they both have their benefits. And, uh, you know, the, the NFL is a better football product. Uh, in a lot of ways, the college football is, is very close to being just as good a, an entertainment product. Well, the college football season has kind of reached a point where it is what it is. Notre Dame is going to play for the national championship, and they're going to play the winner of the SEC championship in that game. How do you handicap the Georgia and Alabama game this weekend? I'll be at that game. I, I think, uh, you know, I think I think Alabama's better, um, but I don't think Alabama's at the level of their last. Uh, of, the, of their previous recent national championship teams. Um, I think they're a good team. I don't think anybody in college football is outstanding this year. And therefore, I, I expect Georgia to, I expect it to be a close game. Uh, I expect Alabama to win, but I, I do think it'll be a close game. And uh, I expect, um, I just expect Alabama to survive it and then to go on to the national championship game. But I, I just, I'm not, they don't have that kind of firepower that, that I think they're overwhelming. I think that uh, Georgia could beat them, but I expect Alabama to win and go on to play Notre Dame, and I expect that game to be close too. Yeah, I was going to ask you, have you thought at all about how Notre Dame stacks up against either team? And if you were a Notre Dame fan watching this game on Saturday, would you be rooting one way or another based on hoping for the better matchup? I don't know. I, you know, again, I think they're fairly closely matched. I think Alabama's better, so I guess the uh, the obvious answer is to say you root for Georgia. But if Georgia's good enough to beat Alabama, then then they're then they're a very good team too. I you know I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you should very feel very elated about being back in the national championship game for the first time in 24 years, and also with a very competitive chance to win that game. Uh, Notre Dame is. They're like an SEC team. They're basically very strong in the front seven on defense, uh, fairly efficient in the running game, a little unsteady in the passing game, physical, uh, tough, 
hard to score on. Um, I mean, those are all things that would describe an Alabama or an LSU of recent years, and I think that kind of team will will certainly be very competitive in the national championship game with whoever they play. I, you know, if it's Notre Dame and Alabama, I would expect a very physical, low-scoring game and and one that either team could win. You know, it's interesting because at times in this season, we thought that the BCS playoff or the death of the BCS and the ensuing playoff just wasn't going to get here quick enough, that this was going to be one of those years, especially at the point where Notre Dame, Kansas State, uh, Alabama, and a fourth team were all Oregon, Oregon, right? We're all undefeated. And it was like, okay, two of these teams are going to get left out. It's going to be just, uh, it's just not going to get here quick enough. And as it maybe often does, it ended up working out. Um, Ultimately, do you feel like this system might be good enough? I think it's usually good enough, but I just think that there's so much clamor in the public and among fans to have something that's that's more certain and more inclusive at the end of the season. I think that you know we are a sports culture that really embraces our postseason, our playoffs. We love the NCAA tournament and basketball. I mean, I think that the logical evolution is that this system has to go away. But really, when when people when our sports archaeologists archive it in 20 years, I think they'll they'll see that it, it got the right game pretty with, with pretty good regularity. And uh, you know, I do. You know, I mean, at the same time, you've got uh, you've got a bunch of one-loss teams, and Alabama was going to get there. And you could make the argument that they aren't necessarily the team that should be there. Um, I do think they're the best of those one-loss teams, but. You know, Kansas State and Oregon can make an argument too if they get if they get to that point. But Oregon isn't even going to play for its own conference championship. Right. So I mean, there's certainly flaws in the system still. Um, and while we're, we are probably going to get the game that will make everybody happy, I'm not at all sure that it's uh, that it's that, it, that 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 really means the system is perfect. Do any of the other seemingly almost fixed in at this point BCS games are do you see any potential other BCS matchups that are going to interest us so that's always been my problem with the BCS is that no, the yeah, championship I, game I is great but the then one, we got the all these that that, exactly the right. one thing that that system has done is it just swallows the other bowl games whole they just become for entertainment value it doesn't really matter who wins them it's uh it's all down. And in a sense, it's the same thing that the NCAA tournament does to the regular season uh, or to the conference tournament. It just basically turns them all into uh, opening acts. And that's basically what the other bowl games are. And you could argue that they always were that, but, but really now when you've got that one game sitting out there, then there's no question that that's the, that's the only game that really matters. And uh, the other games will be entertaining, especially for college football purists, for the fan bases of those teams. And those are important things. The fan bases that get to go, you know, Nebraska gets to go to a Rose Bowl. I mean, that's a big thing for them, um, you know, or, or, or whoever it is in the Big Ten. You know, it's, uh, it's a, it is big, but, but for the broader sports audience, those games are all meaningless. Have you thought about and that? By, and by a wide margin. Yeah, absolutely. Have you thought about the Heisman Trophy at all? Yeah, I just I haven't decided yet between Manziel and uh, Manti Teo. Um, and, and Colin Klein will be third on my ballot. I, I just, I, you know, I really love Manti Teo as a player from Notre Dame and with a, the level of his leadership in that program. It's, uh, you know, really, I think he's a special guy, but doesn't have the quantifiable statistics that a guy like Manziel does or that wow factor that Manziel has. Um, and without those things, it's, uh, you know, it's difficult to, uh, to, to, to vote him ahead of Manziel, but, but I might. I just haven't. I haven't really sat down and forced myself to decide yet. There are going to be a segment of voters who won't vote for Manziel simply because he's a freshman, correct? I suppose, but I hope that that, uh, I hope we're past that at this point. You know, I mean, it's, uh, he's a redshirt freshman, which is the equivalent of a sophomore. Um, you know, it just, it, it seems to me that it's, uh, you know, we should be past that point now where, you know, we can't vote for a, I mean, those rules should be out the window by now. Uh, whether it's basketball or football, obviously athletes mature much younger with the preparation that they get. And a freshman in 2012 is not like a freshman in 1985. 
Sportscasters are finishing up here with uh, Tim Layden from SI, who you can follow on Twitter at SI Tim Layden. Has covering college football on Saturdays opened up any time for you on Sundays to be a fan of the National Football League? Uh, you know, there's always, I've been working on a couple NFL stories on and off this fall, so it's, you know, I I don't think I'll be a fan until I retire, but uh, but I, I watch the NFL every Sunday, and, uh, and and still, I'm sure we'll do NFL stories. There might be a couple things I'll do during the playoffs, um, and uh, it's still it's still the best league in America, the best league in the world, really, and uh, and this year has been a little interesting in that way. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting in the way that there's a little bit less parity than we thought in some ways. There are, uh, we're getting close to getting a lot of the playoff positions pretty well squared away with maybe two or three weeks or four weeks to go in the season even. Do you get any sense as to if the best teams record-wise are really the best teams, or if this could be setting up to be one of those years, maybe similar to the way last year was, where someone kind of emerges from the back of the pack to steal the whole thing? Yeah, I think that that's, that's the way. I don't know about where, I don't know if someone's going to emerge from the back of the pack, but what you look at in records right now is only, only meaningful in terms of, of, of getting teams seated and ranked and, and squared away for the playoffs. Not necessarily for, uh, for really who's, I don't think Atlanta's the best team in football right now. I do, I do believe in Houston to a certain degree, and, and I think New England has a lot of holes, but they're playing very well right now, but, I do think that what you surmise and what you propose there is what you have to watch, which is who's going to play well in the next month and or in the last two weeks of the regular season and then start playing well in the playoffs. I think, I think those things are the key factors. I don't know. Last thing, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever brought this to your attention or if you thought of it yourself, but I can never, ever remember a time where there were two more eligible candidates for the NFL Comeback Player of the Year award than there are this year. I don't know if you vote for this award. I don't even know who votes for it. But do you have any way to separate who is the most, who should be the Comeback Player of the Year between Adrian Peterson and everything he's come back from and the level he's played at and Peyton Manning and everything he's come back from and the level that he's played at? You know, I don't, I don't vote on that. Um, I think really, um, boy, I'm not sure who I would go with on that. I think that in terms of in terms of Peterson, I you know I, I guess I would probably vote for Manning, and, and the simple reason is Peterson's had a sensational physical comeback, but we have seen a lot of uh, a tremendous advancement in recovery from ACL surgery in the last decade for, or 15 years from what it once was, where it was almost a guaranteed 12 to 18 months out. And now, of course, you get Peterson back on the field in, you know, in, at full strength in nine months. But, uh, but Manning, there, there was so much a greater sense of, uh, you know, maybe he really is finished. I think we knew Peterson would come back eventually. With Peyton, I, you know, I, there, was a, there seemed to be a real question as to whether he would make it back at all. Uh, and and he's obviously come back and and seems to be as good as ever. I you know I'd have to talk to someone smarter than me to figure out if he really is as sharp as he once was. But but you know I guess I would lean a little toward Manning. But but it's close. And you are right that those are two great candidates. Super Bowl pick. What's that? Super Bowl pick. <sighs> okay, I would say um, I am going to say Houston is going to get there. Okay. Um, if they can overcome injuries. And I think the Giants are going to get back there. And, you know, I'd like the Giants to win it again. Wow. Very nice. Thank you very much for doing this today, Mr. Lady. We really appreciate it. Sure, Steve. Thanks. Thank you. All right, we got to thank Tim Layden for joining us today, and I really enjoyed that just because it just felt different in a lot of ways, being able to talk about Notre Dame and do a little bit of college football. And we've done college football on this show before. Stuart Mandel was a guest on this show, one of the very early episodes. Right. But it was cool to talk to him about Notre Dame and their chances, and I know that that's a there's not many sports franchises 
as popular as Notre Dame. No. And there's many, many fans, I'm sure, of this show who are fans of Notre Dame football and really got a kick out of having that discussion. And, of course, the NFL stuff we did, too. Interesting to get a Super Bowl pick from Layden at this point. All right. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and also follow our friends at Football Nation at FBall Nation. You can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And both of those uh, avenues are ways to get questions into us for the email segment. Right. Again, you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And we also accept questions on our Twitter at sports underscore casters. Don't forget to check out our latest episode of the Sportscasters, which was also in the dark last week due to Thanksgiving. The most recent episode is Season 3, Episode 3, features interviews with Greg Wyshynski, Rob Mish, and Ben Austin. All right, email. Stephen Dong, like most Americans, I spent a majority of my Thanksgiving holiday watching football. There was always a charm to the Thanksgiving games that felt a bit spoiled by the new Thursday night package this year. Do you think the NFL made a mistake to switch to football every Thursday? Happy Thanksgiving, Joe and Ithaca. Not at all. Uh, the more fo- the more nights they can get football on, and the more time now that NFL is basically on every cable package in the country, uh, it's great. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, it's cool. From a just a viewer perspective, if you got nothing else going on on a Thursday night, you can watch a game. And part of the reason. I think it hasn't ruined the Thursday night thanks or the Thursday Thanksgiving games is I don't know they're not always that good maybe not everybody's a fan of Dallas or Detroit and doesn't want to watch those games and on the flip side of that the Thursday night games aren't usually that good so I mean I'll say this if the if the NFL made a mistake by adding football every Thursday it's a quality issue not a right you're ruining my time watching football on Thanksgiving issue. I mean, they get the first game of the year, and that's always a nice matchup. Uh, last year's Saints-Packers game might have been the best game of the year, and it happened day one. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, this year it's been Giants-Panthers, and I guess Cam Newton's in that game, but it was a blowout. Browns-Ravens, is that moving the needle? Cardinals-Rams, Steelers-Titans. I mean, these aren't good games. Seahawks-49ers. uh Chiefs Chargers. I mean, they're not getting marquee matchups, so it's not like they're hoarding but these it's fantastic the, it's games. It's the first and, year of the package, and yeah. um, there's going to be some learning, you know, learning curves. And we talked about earlier too. It's just all the primetime games this week probably looked fantastic on paper at the beginning of the season, and maybe they don't now. So it's hard to predict too. But uh, tonight's a great one again, and then you get two duds at the end of the year in Broncos, Raiders, Bengals, Eagles. So, right, like you said, every team gets a primetime game the this Eagles year. Eagles have hurt literally every primetime package yep. there is They've been year. lousy. Yep. The way that they just died and gave up this year has killed night games because they've had a bunch of them at the yeah, end we of didn't, the year. We didn't and, even mention off the top that Babin and his, what, 15 sacks last year cut now now a Jaguar. So it looks like the Eagles are cleaning house. Yeah, the Eagles, he's not going to be the first or last Eagle uh, to no longer be on the team after this season. But, yeah, no, I mean, I still love the the Thanksgiving football. I I can't – Thursday, it just makes me used to having it on Thursdays a little bit, I guess. It's maybe not as special. I think think Thanksgiving football isn't necessarily about who's playing because, you know, they're – the, the Lions have lost that game 10 straight years right. now. You know, but I think it's more about being together with your family and knowing that you get to put that game on. And right. Maybe you're going to miss some of the Cowboys game during dinner, but you'll get back to it to see Leon Lott make that ridiculous <laughs> sliding play. And, yeah. You know, so I think the charm of Thanksgiving football can't be ruined. But I do think that if the NFL did make a mistake – by switching to football every Thursday, it's been the quality of the games because the players just don't have the time to recover. Maybe, yeah. You know, to get ready to play a game at that level, and the schedule has been weak. So 
I guess I'll ask this too, like I should know, but it again goes to scheduling. Every team is guaranteed a primetime game or every team is guaranteed a Thursday. Thursday. So every team plays on Thursday. I guess that probably goes to what you said about competitive balance too, though, because then everyone has to deal with a week with only four days. So, Right. And every team needs to, and no matter what, the NFL Network needs their Cleveland game and a Jacksonville game. Right, right. You know, so that's going to hurt their schedule a little bit. It's a cool idea, though. I That's why I think we've seen a lot of division games in that package. Because if you're going to play Jacksonville, right? well, let's pair them with the division team and maybe they'll be... Maybe it'll be a good game at yeah. least. Yeah, like I said, the Bills, I know, probably don't move anyone's meter in the nation. But as a Bills fan, it's cool to see your team in prime time. One more thing for me this week... Uh, goes back to that game that Detroit lost and that was that the, one of the stupidest rules in football probably cost a game and we talk about the officiating and how it fixes or how the replacement refs are gone and the real refs are there and how everything's going to be better but even the refs calling it perfect they did what they were supposed to do except for make the right call on the field I guess doesn't fix the stupid rule book uh, the coach uh, Jim Schwartz yep. accidentally threw a flag on a play that was going to be well, replayed. Well, let's say passionately threw the okay, flag. Okay, he didn't accidentally throw it. But in he... a moment of anger, <laughs> he threw that flag as quickly and as fastly as he could onto that field. He throws the flag, which, if you didn't know why it wasn't reviewed, that's basically the equivalent of, in basketball, calling a timeout without a timeout. Uh, it's a foul, and not only... Do you get penalized 15 yards? I'm not sure what they call it. Unsportsmanlike conduct, maybe. You get the the play is rendered unreviewable. It's a terrible rule. It doesn't make any sense. The 15 yards is plenty on its own. The whole point of instant replay is to get it right. Absolutely. And they got it wrong, and they probably cost the team the game. I know it's in the middle of the game, so it's not as black and white as the Packers. Huge Seahawks seven points, games, though. But yeah, seven points on a huge run when Detroit's playing well. Uh, it's just a brutal, brutal way to lose. And a clever TMQ, Tuesday morning quarterback on ESPN Reader, wrote in and said, I want to see when the first coach, and he said probably Belichick, uses that on a touchdown that they score thinking it's going to be overturned. Like say a receiver catches mm. a ball, called a touchdown, and, and, and in going to the ground, bobbles it. Okay. Very interesting. What if he throws the flag? I mean, is there a clause in there that says a team can't call a review on a play that they score on? Probably not. And then the league's going to have to explain to Belichick why you're being you're being a jerk and you can't do that. But it's it's just a case. There's a lot of bad rules in the league. I've always wondered why you can drag two toes if you're falling straight out of bounds, but if you catch it with two toes and your heels fall out of bounds, it's not a catch. It's stupid to me that. There has been some grumblings over the week that the league is looking into just having the 15-yard part of it. And yeah. Still... It's just a bad rule that I, I don't understand. And by the way, Sims and Nance had no idea, huh? They were completely no. lost. I, I, was watching were, the... I knew right away why. I knew right away what happened. I don't know if I had seen it happen before or if I'd heard about it, but I knew right away, and I'm like, Sims and Nance are lost. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and... I like we were talking about maybe the football isn't about sitting down and watching the games on Thanksgiving. So I wasn't exactly glued to it. I just saw the run and I'm like, okay, that's not a touchdown. And then I saw them kicking the extra point. So I wasn't sure why it wasn't reviewed because I didn't see the flag thrown, but yeah, they never made mention of why not until after the extra point. And then they came back and Sims had had a chance to talk to the league. And then he explained the rule, but But, yeah, they were not, they had no idea. Long story short, my last thing, there's a lot of bad rules in the NFL that just aren't intuitive, that just don't feel right, and that was totally on display on Thanksgiving, and they got to fix it. All right, one last thing today, and I kind of want to explain something to people, and I don't, I don't know if this is going to come across or not, but going into Sunday's game between the Saints and the 49ers, I was very optimistic in the sense that I knew – the Saints had gotten their season to a point where if they had won that game, they would be the sixth seed in the NFC. And then essentially would be controlling their destiny for a playoff spot. And 
The Saints didn't win, and it hurt really bad, and let me tell you why. It hurt really bad because it was Breeze's fault. And that's something that is so different from the 1999 season, let's say, when the Saints went 3-13 and and Billy Joe Hobart and Billy Joe Tolliver shared the quarterback role. Back then, when the Saints lost, there'd be a myriad of reasons, and they were all equal. But now, after Peyton and Breeze have come in through 2006, I can accept losses when the defense gives up over 400 yards, or the kick returner fumbles, or a wide receiver drops a ball that would have been a first down and it totally changes the game, or someone on the other team makes a play. But for whatever reason, I can't handle it when it's Breeze's fault. Because he's the guy who came to New Orleans from heaven, let's say, changed the team, won a Super Bowl, broke records that now have Saints next to him that you would have never believed. And when games go down the way they go down, if you take the game was 14 to 7, Colin Kaepernick threw a TD with 40 seconds left to put the Saints in scoring position. Drew Brees threw a pick six. 49ers tied the game. We went to halftime. We came back. And on Drew Brees' first half in the second half, he threw another pick six. That game went from 14-7 Saints with the ball in a position to go up 17-7 or even better, 21-7 at half to a position where it was 21-14 49ers game over. And it was Brees' fault. Both of those interceptions were Brees' fault. There's no denying it. The first one, he didn't see Brooks. That throws on him. That pick six is on him. The second one, he left Colston out, hanging out to dry. Almost broke his neck. The 49ers were in a lucky position to catch the deflection. And I don't know. I just can't deal with that. And that's really hard. And, I, and I'd love to hear from, from other teams, uh, fans of other teams who say, you know what? I feel for you because I can deal with losses when it happens this way. But when it happens this way, it's just too much for me. Spend my day 